Um, I, I already introduced myself. Uh, my name is Brooks, and I get and I'm the uh, the pastor of Westside. My wife and I have been pastoring this church for about five and a half years. The church has been here for 15 years in this school for all 15 years, and so we're just charging right ahead into 2019. Couldn't be more excited for what God's got for us this year. We started a new sermon series a couple weeks ago where it's called, it's kind of a weird name, it's called Rhythms and Rituals. And, you know, when you hear Rhythms and Rituals, you think like, oh, creepy, like, are they going to sacrifice chickens? Or, you know, like, what are they going to do? And um, we named it that way because there's something really, really beautiful about how the early church, when they, when they, when they saw Jesus alive and they just formed this, this kind of community that was just took the world by, by such surprise. And we've been looking kind of as like a source text to this book in Acts, or this, this book in the New Testament called Acts, chapter 2. It says that they were all gathered, and it said that they devoted themselves to a couple of things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And we're going to talk about that next week, just break that apart. What does fellowship mean? And they devoted themselves to breaking a bread. That's eating together, taking communion together. And then they devoted themselves to prayer, or the prayers. And uh, so we're going to talk about prayer today, but I'm not going to talk to you about prayer because I invited my friend Dan to come preach about prayer. And Dan's preached here a bunch of times in the past, and Dan's, uh, Dan and his wife Gretchen have uh, really uh, solid uh, parts of, of our fellowship here. Um, but I wanted Dan to, to speak on prayer because um, prayer is one of the things that I'm excited to, uh, it's been one of my goals to, to grow in this year. This is one of the areas where I feel like I'm weak. I feel like I can be addicted, and maybe some of you can can or can relate to me. I feel like sometimes I'm addicted to quick fixes. Um, I'm addicted to like seeing results, and sometimes prayer doesn't. It doesn't. I don't feel like I get quick results from prayer, and so therefore I tend to just go and do then instead of pray. You know what I mean? And that's just a that's just a habit that has happened in my life that I want to switch this year. And uh, so I, I thought, I'm going to ask Dan to come and speak about prayer because I bet his perspective um, will be helpful. And, and you know, we, we had a service before, and i got to tell you, Dan, what, what you have to say about prayer is so helpful, so helpful for me, um, and I know it's going to be helpful for many of you. So anyways, would you give Dan a hand as he comes and speaks to us this morning on prayer? Thanks, man. I love you, Brooks. Yeah, do that. That's good. I like that. I just do, man. He's awesome. I love. I loved his lead in worship too. Like, it's awesome. I love this church. How's that for a start? I just love everybody. I love you guys. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, we're gonna talk about prayer, but I got a little story to tell you first. Um, this little turtle family goes out for a picnic one day. And just like the first service, every, this look that everybody gives me, like, is this story true? This is going to be true. This is a true story. Turtle family goes out for a picnic. They find a real nice spot. They put the, the stuff down, the blanket and whatnot, and they're getting all the food ready. And as they get the sandwiches out, Papa Turtle realizes they forgot the mayo. And... He's like, oh, man, we can't have sandwiches without mayonnaise. Come on, we can't do it without the mayo. So he says to Junior, I'm sorry, man, you got to go home real quick and grab the mayo. And he's like, no, Dad, no. He's like, Junior, come on, just go. And Junior's like, no, Dad, you guys are going to start without me. I know you'll start without me. And Papa Turtle says, look, I'm not going to start without you. Just go home and get the mayo. So he 
starts on his way home. Now, turtles are slow, so an hour goes by, two hours go by, four hours go by, and if science has taught us anything, it's that turtles are the most patient animal in the animal kingdom. I don't know if you know that. Science has proven that. A lot of people think it's the sloth, but it's not. Sloths are actually very impatient. They just don't show it, okay? So he's, he's off, and they're waiting and waiting. Six hours go by. Eight hours go by. Now it's getting to be nighttime. They start to fall asleep. Morning comes. The sun comes up. It's now the next day. They're still waiting, still waiting. Gets to be lunchtime, dinner time. Next day, okay, now we're into the second day. Three days go by, and finally Papa Turtle says, I'm starving. Let's eat. We need to eat. Let's just, I'm, I'm sorry. We just got to eat. He grabs a sandwich, and as he goes to eat a sandwich, Junior pops out from a tree he'd been hiding behind and says, see, I know you'd start without me. <laughs> true story. It's a true story. Now, I want you to put that story, I didn't just tell you that to, to make you go like, what in the heck did I come to church for today? Um, I want you to put that in your back pocket. I'm going to use that as an illustration later. But we're talking about prayer today. Now, I want to say right off the outset that Brooks didn't ask me to talk because like, I got some kind of thing about prayer that I'm better at it than everybody else or something like that. It's not that. Um, in fact, today I know just even at the outset that I will probably stir up more questions than I answer. That that's going to happen. I'm going to do a broad kind of sweep over prayer through Scripture with the intent to kind of get to what I really feel like our attitude towards prayer should be. And, and so I know I'm going to have, I'm going to stir up questions. That's okay. I, I, I'm hoping that what will happen is Anything like that that I seem to skim over or how come I didn't touch this or how I didn't, I brought this, you know, any of that kind of stuff would hopefully be stuff that you guys could bring up in small groups or whatnot. That's, that's a great place to have those discussions. Um, and, I, and of course, I'm, I'm, you know, we're always here afterward if I bring up something that you're confused about, but that's okay too. Um, so I want to talk about sort of prayer and the particulars from Scripture to lead us to what I feel like our attitudes toward prayer should be. And my goal really is hopefully to get you guys to be fired up to pray more, to get more into prayer. We are kind of heading in a direction this church to be more of a praying church. And so this is sort of a kickoff to that, hopefully. Um, when I knew that I was doing this, I sort of started to do like kind of my own survey. And I even asked my, I asked my son, who I knew was going to be on a missions trip to San Francisco, to kind of ask some questions. And my sister, who works in Philadelphia, asked a whole bunch of people these questions. What is prayer? What does it really do? And is it effective? Is, is it effective? You can imagine the gamut, the, the wide range of answers. I mean, I, it would take me a long time to even read them all off, but we've got this wide range. Because the general idea is, when we pray, most people just kind of come to a conclusion. It's communicating with God. It's talking with God, and that's okay. That's a good place to land. It's talking to God, but what's happening? Are we getting God to change his mind about things, or are we talking to a God who has waited up there to finally hear us ask for something to give it, uh, or are we, is it more about like us kind of submitting our will to his and, and it changing our attitude about our life and our walk and, and empowering us to do more. Is it, what, which is it? What is it? 
And I want to do a, a, a quick walk through Scripture. It's not exhaustive. It's just to sort of kind of give you an idea. The Scripture is a little all over the place with it. And I'm going to purposely not sort of land in one area because, like I said, I really want to get to the second part of this where we talk about our attitude towards prayer. But let's just take a quick walk through Scripture. I'm going to read them all and we'll, we'll go through. Genesis, starting in Genesis, Genesis 20, 17. And again, if you're, if you're a leader of a small group or something like that and you'd like to have these references later, you can either listen to the podcast later or I'll have this up here. You can quick come up and take a picture of it on your phone. That's cool. Because like I said, I'm just going to give you some references and some subjects. Genesis 20, 17 is where Abraham prays for Abimelech and his wife for healing. Prays for healing and they get healed. Genesis 25, 21 um, is where Isaac prays for his wife, who's barren, and it changes her barrenness. Exodus 33, 18. Moses, um, it's where he, he asks God, could you show me your glory? And God, God says, well, hey, that's going to kill you, but you can see me kind of from behind, and it's a very interesting place. What a gutsy prayer, right? Um, Moses seems to, in Exodus 34, 9, seems to change God's mind about destroying Israel, about completely punishing Israel. It seems like Moses has God change his mind over his prayer. Deuteronomy 9, 19 through 20 is like that. It's the place where Moses prays about Aaron because Aaron had just lead it, led the, the Israelites to make the golden calf and God's going to destroy Aaron. It says he was mad at Aaron. He had wrath for Aaron. And, and, and Moses prays to God to, hey, please don't hurt my... Don't hurt my brother, and he, and he doesn't, which I think is so funny, because if I would have had that with my sister, I would have held that over her head for years. I'd have been like, you should have died. You know that, right? I saved your life with my prayers, right? I would have held that all, I mean, I can't even tell you. Um, all through 1 Samuel 1, 26-27, Hannah dedicates her son in a prayer, in a beautiful prayer, dedicates her son Samuel, who ended up being an incredible prophet. Um, so there's like the, a prayer of dedication. Um, there's 2 Samuel, all throughout 2 Samuel. If you read through there, it's all David's prayers. He's constantly praying to God about all kinds of stuff. Ezra 9 talks about confession and reconciliation. If you read through Psalms, Psalms is full of laments mainly by David, just where are you, God? I'm dying here. I'm struggling. My, my sins are just eating me away. But then they always seem like they turn into praise, which would be more of sort of a scripture text that mean, looks, makes it look like maybe prayer is more about us changing our will and changing our attitude. When you look at how it went through with David, it gets a little scary. There's actually some places in the Bible where prayer looks kind of scary. Um, Proverbs 28.9 talks about the prayer of the lawless is an abomination to God. That's scary to me. That, that kind of hints that there might be prayer out there that God don't like. You're not digging it. Again, I'm just throwing it out there, right? I'm not, I'm not going to land the plane on any of this. He actually says in Isaiah 1.15 that I hide my eyes from you because your hands are covered in blood. Your prayers, I hide, I, I'm not even listening to them. Jeremiah 7 and ch chapter 7 and chapter 11, he talks about don't even pray for them. I don't even want to hear your prayers like God's done with a, a whole people group. That's scary. That's intense. And we go to the New Testament, and uh, we got Matthew's just got really cool teachings from Jesus 
where he talks about in 544, praying for those who persecute you. There's a whole other kind of prayer. I don't do that. I'm up here preaching about prayer. I, don't, I can say, I can't remember last time I prayed for somebody who was kind of an enemy. And then the famous place in Scripture, Matthew 6, is where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And he talks about not praying to be seen in front of people. Uh, he talks about not being repetitious and religious with your prayer, just sort of meaningless chatter. And then, of course, the Lord's Prayer, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Matthew 21, he talks about his zeal. He ta- that's where it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We see Jesus' zeal for prayer. That's a big deal to him. It's not just some thing you do. We see him in the garden before he was, was betrayed and crucified, praying to God, you know, not my will, but your will be done. Again, kind of a hint that maybe, maybe prayer does change us more than it changes God's mind, even though it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14, whole other ball game, is where Paul talks about tongues and, and what seems to be prayer languages, actual prayers we can pray to God where we don't even understand what we're saying. A gift of tongues, our prayer languages where we can pray to him. And he says, you know, if you don't have an interpreter, keep it to yourself. But he says, do it. Still do it. He encourages us to do it. And that blows people's minds. And that's, that's disturbed the church for years. But it's in there. It's part of prayer. Part of prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That's got to mean that prayer, if we're being told to pray without ceasing, that should change some of your minds about prayer as being, well, prayer is just I got to take some time to myself and get on my knees and pray. Well, how can I pray without ceasing? I got I to gotta sustain my job. I got to take care of my kids. I got to do the dishes. I got to, you know, how do we pray without ceasing? So there's an idea of prayer there that's got to transcend maybe a lot of our ideas. Lastly, James 5 talks about when people are sick, bringing the elders together to pray, pray over them. Interesting, because that's more of a group prayer. Come pray for the sick together. Now, that's not even close to touching all the places that talk about prayer in the Bible. Not even close. I simply want you to see that the Bible's sort of all over the place with this question of what's prayer doing? What, what is it supposed to look like and what's it doing? I mean, there's so many different facets to it. There's so many different facets to it. Just like when we were doing these surveys with people, there was just so many different ideas. And that's not a bad thing. I don't want you to think that I'm kind of trying to say, oh, the Bible's all over the place, so it's scatterbrained. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am saying is that prayer is very multifaceted. And, it, and it, it's, it's okay because you would expect that from the kind of relationship that has dynamics. Our, our, the way we communicate within a dynamic relationship is going to have all kinds of different facets to it. And it's going to be hard to just write down rules to say, well, this is, you know, nobody said that with my wife. You know, you, you're, this is how you say it. This is how you say it. You don't say it like that. I mean, maybe in the back of my mind I have a few of those kind of ideas, but prayer isn't like that. It's a, it's a, it's a communicative thing in a relationship, and so there's no wonder why it's so vast, okay? It's pretty interesting. Let me just, before I get on to the next section, I want, I want to just talk about what prayer isn't, okay? Um, Matthew 6, 8 talks about how your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I want to talk, talk a couple things what prayer isn't. Prayer is not news to God. Do you ever think of that? I, I find encouragement in that. I'm not coming to God with news, hey, in case you haven't heard, this is going on in my life. 
I love that about God. I come to him, he already knows. He already knows. It's awesome. And so with that, it, it doesn't have to be a plea to get him to care. Now, people have done that in the Bible. You'll read through the Bible. There's definitely pleas in the Bible. God, would you please, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to care about this. But we have a perspective. We know he already cares. He already cares more than you do. So when you pray for your children or you pray for a situation in your life or whatever it might be, I'm telling you right now, you can pray to a God that cares about that more than you even do, that cares about your children or your parents or your wife or husband, your friends, more than you do. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. And the other thing, it's not, it's, it's not some kind of fix or formula. A lot of times we get kind of into this thing where it's supposed to, hey, Dan, I thought when I prayed for that, I was supposed to fix that. I thought when I, you know, if I did it just right. Prayer is not some kind of fix or a formula. We're talking about a relationship with God. We're talking about communicating with Almighty God. And so with that, I want to move on to what I believe our attitude towards prayer should be. Again, I purposely sketched over what the Bible says and didn't come to a landing spot. And I purposely did that because I want you to see, well, is prayer changing God's mind? It's in Scripture. Is prayer changing my mind? It's in Scripture. I'll let you guys come to find what you think, and especially in small groups is a great place to do that. But let's talk about what I think our attitude could be. And if you can grasp this even in a little way, I think it will change your prayer life. I think it will ignite your prayer life, which is my whole goal for the day. A good start for our attitude, a really good start is to remember that God is big, bigger than that word big, big, okay? He's huge. Psalms 19.1, let's look at that really quick. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The very heavens, the very universe that, that men and women have taken their entire lives to study. And we just keep seeing it bigger and finding bigger stars and find all this stuff. It's all for his glory. In the movie Contact, Jodie Foster's character is trying to search for life on other planets. And one of the things that she says when somebody says, what if, you don't, what if there is none? She says, well, it would be an incredible waste of space. That's what she says. But not if this is true. Not if this is true. It's not even big enough to declare his full glory. That's, I, want, I want you to start to expand your thinking here. Our universe is not even big enough. If it's, if it's there to show his glory, it's not even big enough. Take a look at this. Now, oh, let me just say this really quick. Um, I'm going to do it disservice, but I, there's, a, there's a guy named Louis Giglio. If you've never heard of him, look him up. Louis Giglio does a talk called Indescribable, and then he does another one called How Great Thou, Thou Art. And he, he touches on this in a way that I'm only going to just share in seconds. He does a whole talk on and it'll blow your mind. And it's really awesome. It's really, I just highly recommend it. But... He does stuff like this. This star, from at least what I've gathered in my studies, is like our, our latest biggest star that we've discovered. UI Scuddy. Now, it's not a star. That's not a picture of it. It's, you know, right? Everybody, <laughs> it's just a picture on the screen. But the idea, can you guys see this? This is, this is a dot right here that says the sun. And the idea is it's, you kind of can't see it, and that's the point. It's a very little dot, barely bigger than my fingertip. Okay, now, 
If I was to take a pencil and I sharpened it as good as I can to get the point as tight as I could, I still, if I made a mark on this screen right here to show how little earth was compared to that, it still would be massively too big. That little dot that I put there would be massively too big. Okay? Let's take a look at this, what this star looks like just kind of out there floating. That's, that's him right there. And this is just a general picture of a, of a section of the universe that, that the Bible says God measured in the, in, the, in the palm of his hand. We pray to a big, big God. We go and bring ourselves to a big, big God. It's incredible. It's incredible. And here's why I'm laboring to describe this. Because I think that one of our biggest issues, certainly mine, and I'm sure you guys deal with this too, is that we tend to not be able to see past our own noses when it comes to our situations, our circumstances, our life, our bubble, the things that are going on with us, right? And we tend to take our prayers and we come to God stuck in this little cage and sort of just say, God, you're supposed to come fix this. You're supposed to be here making this work or, or making my plans work. It's, it comes out when we hear things like, well, I didn't really study for that test. Well, pray about it, you know. Well, God, come give me stuff in my brain that I didn't study so I can get a good grade on the test. Like he's supposed to do that. He's supposed to fix everything right here. Then what happens is, we're going back to the turtle story now is we kind of become like that little turtle where we set God up for failure. We set him up and sabotage him because we have this entitlement idea or we just think he's just supposed to come and fix all this stuff. He's supposed to make me okay all the time. And then we point our finger, I knew it. I knew you weren't going to do that for me. Kind of like that little turtle. What a foolish plan that little turtle had to do what he did. But that's what we do sometimes in our prayer life. Now, look, I, I can't blame you. I do the same thing. Sometimes it's our pain. Sometimes we're in a lot of pain or we're sick or we got some real stuff going on. I want you to know right now, I'm not trying to belittle that stuff. I'm not trying to say that that stuff isn't a big deal in your life. What I am saying that is the more you stay focused inward, Lord, come help this, the more you tend to magnify those issues in your own little world, in your reality. But the more that you can open up your heart to a big God, suddenly those things have to face that. Let me explain that a little bit more. We get to start realizing that we're on the winning team. That he's winning. We're not losing. He's winning. We're part of that. We're part of a winning team. Now, that may sound like cliche, but let me explain it a little further. One time I was preaching and is back when I was coaching football, so a lot of my analogies and illustrations had to do with football. But I was trying to encourage the crowd I was talking to that, hey, it's kind of like, you know, the first half, you're, you're getting beat up, you're losing, you're really struggling, everything's not going the way, you know, you can't get any plays to work right. And as a coach, you know, when the second quarter ends, you're thinking to yourself, what the heck am I going to tell these guys? How am I going to get this team, like, to even want to go back out on the field? And so I was thinking to myself, what if going into halftime, 
I knew already that we'd win the game. How different would my perspective be or my speech be to my team if I knew we were going to win, right? I wouldn't let anybody be hanging their heads. I'd be like, guys, you have no clue how cool a turnout this is going to be, right? And I was thinking that's kind of like our life with God. We win. We're going to win. There's like, it's like that encouragement. It's that simple. We win. And I thought, wow, what a, you know, I patted myself on the back. What a great illustration. And then I went home that day, and I was sitting on my, sitting on my couch, and God, kind of in my mind, took it one more step. He said, that, you know, that was a cute little illustration, Dan. That was fine. But it's really not like that. And I, I was thinking to myself. He's like, it's more like if you went into halftime and all of a sudden you discovered that this fight you thought you were in and, this, and you're losing and all, you just kind of, one of the refs came in and said, hey, I just want to apologize. The scoreboard hasn't been working. You guys are actually up 99 to nothing. It's that. It's that. We get to be a part of a God that's, it's, that's winning, but it's not just winning, it's a route. It's a route. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Don't let social media garbage tell you any different. All this negativity in this world, when you are part of God, when we get to be in his family and we are Christian, we get all the stuff we have, we are in a route. Satan is not even close to beating him. And he never will be. He's a big God. It's awesome to think that way. I want you to start to kind of envelop that in your mind. Naturally, we catch his bigness. Our stuff becomes smaller. And not because it's still not important to us and things like that. But as you lift up your issues to him, in light of how big he is, there's something about it that you go, not so much, oh, it's not as big as I thought. But there is something of, oh, I'm not worrying about it. I'm not going to worry about it as much. When you bring it to him, as opposed to, God, could you kind of just do something about this? You start to catch his bigness. You start to catch how big his steps are. Meaning, um, James, James 4.8 talks about if we draw close to him, he will draw near to us. One of the cool things about that is our steps are very small. His steps are very big. They're very big. And so even if you are one of those people that you feel like you're stuck in your little world. Little world, that sounds bad. But you know what I mean. You're stuck in that. You're rooted in your reality. Your stuff. I can't get out of it. Even just the littlest step towards him. His steps are huge towards you. He comes right to meet you. He'll come to meet you in that and help blow the lid off how big he is. He's so big. He's so big. One more thing I'll just tell you. It, it, it's so cool. Um, I don't know if you've seen Avengers Infinity Stone. Um, at the end of that, there's a big war happening. And Thor has been out of the fight for a while. In the movie, and it's because he's off getting this new like axe built, and he uses it wrong. But anyway, um, <laughs> but he comes to the fight, kind of in the middle of it, and they're hurting because they're all there's this great army, and they're all kind of doing the whole Braveheart thing, one on one fighting, and they're like you know, and Avengers are doing good, but they're getting tired, you know, because they're one on one, one on one. Well, Thor comes, and he just like literally in big blows, like knocks. 50 people out over here, 50 monsters out over here, 50, like, and David Banner, the guy that turns into the Hulk, he says something like, I'm not sure if I'm getting it right, but he says, you're all in a lot of trouble now, something like that, and he gets excited because Thor's here. Well, when you start to realize how big God is, there's a sense in you that you can take your problems to God and go, problems, you're all in a lot of trouble now because I'm bringing them to a big God. I'm bringing them to a big God. And that's not a cliche thing. I'm just saying it's an attitude you could have. 
Okay, I got these problems, yeah, but I'm bringing them to a big God, and you're all in a lot of trouble. You're all in a lot of trouble. He's big. He's so big, it's so cool. But here, here's the problem. Here's the tension, okay? And I'm just admitting that it's there. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, hey, how, how should we pray? Jesus starts off in Matthew 6, 9. We can put that up there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, Jesus saying that, he's obviously in agreement with all the stuff I just said. Hallowed be thy name. It's there, right? Our, our immediate first attitude as we approach God in prayer. Hallowed be thy name, right? It's there. Beautiful, glorious, amazing, magnificent, magnificent is your name. And you pause on that and you just, yeah. Okay? Here's the tension. And this tension is such that I struggle with it. I don't even think I get it right. It's, I'm going to admittedly tell you right now that I struggle with this. But it's there. And Jesus said it. The tension is this. That when Jesus uses that term father... He's using the word Abba there. Now, that was profound. You have no idea how profound it was. And even disturbing and possibly, you know, I don't know. People just got mad at it probably. Because up until now, you've got all these religious Pharisees and all. When they, when they use the term father, they're kind of just, you know, it's just the maker of all. Father, maker of all. He's, he's the creator of all. Father, great father, whatever. When Jesus uses the term Abba, Abba means daddy. So there's this tension between this great, huge God who's requested us call him daddy. What? Do you know how much I struggle with that? I even struggle if I hear somebody come up to, to pray up here and they go, oh, daddy, God. I'm like, uh. Like, uh, don't you know how big he is? I struggle with that. You guys have to struggle with that with me. I know it. But that's the tension. He's huge. He's to be feared. And yet he's daddy. And yet he's daddy. The little scary thing about that is that if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then really when you're praying, if you pray at all, you are just praying to big, fearful God. You don't have a relationship with him. If you haven't given your life to Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, the stuff we sang about, how he's restored us and changed everything to let us be child, children of God, I'm not telling you not to pray, but you're not somebody who gets to call him daddy until you're part of the family, until you've accepted Jesus Christ, his payment for your sin, and you turn your life over to him. Then the Bible says you get to be called heirs to the throne, children, sons and daughters. You get to call him daddy. Now, the tension is a struggle with me, but there's one way I can kind of understand it. It's from a story from my childhood, and I'm almost done. So this is, this is how I kind of describe that tension between daddy God and massive, I'm scared to death of him, fear God, okay, which you kind of should be. <laughs> but so 
It's a, it's a summer afternoon on a Saturday. I'm like in first or second grade, and I got my friends from all around the block, kind of out in front of my house, and we have nothing to do, which is a terrible situation, because we'll come up with something to do. And what we started doing, or what my friends started doing, and I still say that, but I don't think I did it. But anyway, so they started taking my sister's little play stroller, made out of plastic, and they started breaking it up in the street. Started smashing the wheels off, picking it up over their heads and smashing it and laughing. And just, I mean, stupid, right? Stupid stuff. Now, I didn't break it. I can look back and I go, I remember not breaking it. But I sure didn't do anything either. You know, I did nothing to stop it, okay? So I'm watching, and I promise you this is at least what it felt like. But I could hear our front door open. There's my sister crying on the front lawn. I hear her stop crying, and it's as if black clouds all started rolling in because my father came out. Father's a big guy, was a big guy. He comes out and sees his daughter crying. And I mean, it's like fire was coming into my dad's eyes. And he came up to the boys and myself which I have to say at that point, we were freely peeing ourselves. <laughs> Just, yep, I'm that scared, I don't even care. He picked up one of the bikes, took it up over his head. I mean, it looked like fire in his eyes and just threw it on the ground, pieces broke off, and all the boys split. Of course, I'm there <laughs> by myself, just going, okay, I'm dead, this is it, this is how I die. Um, but in that moment, do you, see, do you see where I'm going with that? In that moment, that fear of being on the wrong side of my dad, right? But also that fear or that feeling of, he's my dad. You don't mess with me either. See what I'm saying? He would do that if, if, he, if he came out and saw me getting beat up or something happening to me. My dad would stop it. Right or wrong, he'd stop it. Gives you sort of a flavor, a taste of what our attitudes toward prayer could be, towards God, this massive God to be reckoned with and feared, but he lets us call him daddy. When you do that, if you can catch that, if you can catch that, worship begins to happen easier. You just worship and thankfulness comes out of you. I'm telling you, worship and thanksgiving starts to come out of you to even the point of even where your requests the f- things you feel like you need to ask God about, maybe people are sick or you've got some pain or somebody's got pain, even those requests become worship because you realize you're talking to God saying, God, as an act of worship, I'm bringing this before you because you're the only one who can handle this. You're the only one who can do it. It's like an act of worship, just bringing even requests. You don't have to feel like I keep asking you for stuff. No, bringing is worship. It's amazing. You start to catch this, you start to catch this and peace comes. Peace will come. Jesus slept on a boat during a storm because he must have known something we didn't. Ultimately, ultimately, no matter what, how it works in the heavenlies, how God does things, ultimately when we get to this place, we can start seeing real change in us. And I'm going to guarantee you one thing. You'll be able to have strength for and do things you never thought possible in your life. I'm going to give you a quick testimony as the band comes back up about what I mean by that. It's, it's only difficult to talk about this in the sense that it sounds so strange. 
And I know that it actually offends some people um, because they, I don't know, it's easier to be offended at it. But I've seen this work in my life to such an extent that I got a chance, Brooks was talking about baptism last week, I got a chance to baptize my four kids. We got to do it in a lake in Lincoln City. It was so precious. But there was something about it that was beyond just the preciousness of getting to baptize my kids. I baptized them with another man who was in the water with me, who was their stepdad, who was the reason that my first marriage failed. He's the one that cheated with my wife, my ex-wife. And here we are together, baptizing my kids together. Right? What? I should hate him, right? He was my best friend. And total betrayal, but total forgiveness, total restoration, total recovery. So much that he and I, in the water together, baptizing my children. That didn't come from me. No way. No way. There's something about, if you can catch this, it will change you and you'll do things you never thought you could do.